0: Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been camped out in the initial kings of Israel. We've been talking about this time period that is Saul and David and Solomon, and we've looked at the uh, the Psalms and again that just that emotional uh, heart piece of God and His people. Last week, we also looked at the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, that ultimate wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. And today we're going to look at another part that happens in the time of these initial kings, which is the construction of the temple. So if you haven't been with us again, we've been going through God's story, seeing how is it that all of these different writings tie together as one continuous flow and narrative of what God wants to understand, have us understand for his people. Seeing his overarching love and care and protection that began in the garden again when He made a promise and he said, I will destroy sin and Satan. And God is continuing to work to that place in life. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm actually going to put you a little bit further into the sermon. You guys can open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We're not going to get there for a little bit, but I just figured I'll have you work on that and get yourselves there right now. But what we're going to see today is that part of God's story, again, this, this continuous flow, this narrative, is that God has always been interacting with his people. okay, And it may have looked different over time, but God has always been with his people. And so in the beginning, again, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And then when they sinned, he had to cast them out of his presence. And then God spoke to Abraham and he called him and he said, you're going to be the father of my people. And then in Genesis chapter 15, he, he makes a sacrifice to God and God comes down in this fiery pot and consumes the sacrifice. And then he has a a vision that he gives to Jacob where he sees God standing at the top of these stairs or this ladder and these angels are ascending and descending in this process. And then God speaks to Moses and he calls to him out of a burning bush. And he says, I need you to lead my people into the promised land. And then as Moses begins to, to do that, God shows up in a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire among his people. And then he calls him to the mountaintop and he says, Moses, I have the law for you. And he gives him the law. And then after he gives Moses the law, he says, I have something else for you. And from chapter 25 of Exodus to chapter 40, God tells him, that I want you to build something. You're going to build for me my tabernacle of where I'm going to come and sit with my people. And so in Exodus chapter 25, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. They are the offerings. These are the offerings that you are to receive. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. Goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and hides of sea cow. Acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant scents, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. This is Moses. You've got to start collecting stuff. I I need you to get gold and and yarn and different spices and and different types of stones. And I'm going to give you a blueprint of what I want this tabernacle to look like. And you need to follow that to my specifications. And in it, we're going to have a room. And that room's going to be the, the holy of holies that only once a year the high priest will get to come in. And that room will sit as part of the holy rooms uh, that, again, only, only the special will get to go in. And outside that will be a, a courtyard. And that courtyard will be lined off by a curtain that only the priest and the Levites will be able to come in after they have cleansed themselves. And I want you to, to make an Ark of the Covenant I want you to to make a basin and a a table and a candle holder all to my specific design. And in the meantime, Moses, while that's being crafted, what we're going to do is you and I are going to meet. We're going to meet in in a place called the tent of the meeting that, that if you need to speak with me, you can come to this place and we will have conversation. So in Exodus 33, it says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of the meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go out to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. And while the Lord spoke with Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they stood and worshiped each at the entrance to his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. But his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the camp. is in the meantime there's going to be this tent and it's going to be outside and and you just come and and when you want to talk I will come down and and when people saw God coming down in the cloud they would say God has arrived and they would go outside and they would praise and they would worship God and Moses would speak to God and say God I need your wisdom I need information I need help Uh, here's what's going on what do we do and God would speak And then the tabernacle was finished and it was prepared. And so Moses wouldn't have to stay in the tent anymore. And I want you to hear what happens in Exodus now chapter 40, starting in verse 34. It said, then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And on all of the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. And so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in sight of all of the house of Israel during all of their travels. So they finished the tabernacle and the glory of God comes down and it fills the place. And it was so filled that they're like, we can't even go in there because God has arrived. And they watched for that glory, that, that when it would lift up, it was a sign to them that said, guys, it's time to move. We, we need to go where God is leading us. And then when the cloud would stop, they would say, OK, now it's time for us to stop. And so every time that God decided to move, they would pack up the tabernacle. All the priests and the Levites would get together and they'd pack it all up and they'd say, guys, let's move out. And then they would move out. And then God would stop and they'd say, here's the spot where we set it all up again. Exactly the way that God told us to. And then God would come down. And so the Israelites become these wandering nomads pitching their tent and taking it down, pitching their tent and taking it down. And the tabernacle became the portable throne room of God. And now, instead of the tent of the meeting being outside, now the tabernacle was in the center of the Israelite camp. There were very specific instructions that said, here's exactly where every tribe is supposed to set up. And it's set up exactly around the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is now the focal point of the community. It was the central place of worship where they would come and they would make their sacrifices and their praise and their worship to God and honor him. And so God was able to settle the problem. How does he live among his people while still being separated from the presence of sin. God allowed them the access to him while still keeping out the sinfulness from his holiness. And so for the next 400 years, they'd wander the desert. They'd go into the promised land. They'd reclaim that promised land. And then the ark and the tabernacle would come and set up in Jerusalem. And so during this time, they had all kinds of leaders, right? They had Moses, and then they had Joshua, and then they had all the different types of judges that existed. And then they said, We want a human king. And God said, That's not going to go well for you. And they said, We want a human king like everyone else. And God said, Fine. And so God gave them King Saul, and then he gave them King David, and then they had King Solomon. And when David is sitting in Jerusalem, he has this thought. And he has this thought in 1 Chronicles where he says, After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, he said, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. David looks out and he goes, Look at this kingdom. Look at this place. He says, he says, look, look at this city that that has been built. He says, look at this palace that I'm sitting in. I get to sit in this palace while God is simply sitting in a tent. No, no, no. This is not acceptable. How is it that the great sovereign God of all of creation is going to simply sit in some fabric while I'm sitting in this place of opulence and beauty? No, no, no. We're going to change this. I am going to give God the proper place to live. And he says, God, I want to build you a temple. A place that is greater than anything else. And so God says, I hear that, but let me just tell you what I think. And that night, the word of the Lord God came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelled in a house from the day that I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. And wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to my shepherd, my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God's like, David, I never asked you to build me a temple. I never once gave that command at any point to say, I want something built out of stone or cedar or concrete or steel. I was perfectly content in the tent and in the tabernacle. Quite frankly, I was the one who told you to build that. And I told you the materials and I told you exactly how to do it. I was fine there, David. But he says, look, David, out of concession for you, I will let you build this temple for me. But he says, here's the deal. You're a man of war. You've shed much blood, so you are not gonna build it, but it's gonna be your son, Solomon. He's gonna be the one that's gonna have the opportunity to build the temple for me. And so David is grateful, and he thanks God, and he says, thank you, Lord, for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for for being the God that you are. And he says, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna make provisions for this temple. And so he goes out and he begins to find the greatest workers all over. All of the skilled craftsmen and carvers. And he begins to to gather them in Jerusalem. And he goes out and he says, get the best material. Find the finest trees, the finest stones. And I want you to bring them all here. And he shares this with his people. And to give you a glimpse of what this temple is going to look like, we have the words here in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. He says, I've taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord. A hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed in wood and stone. And you may add to them you have many workers stonecutters masons and carpenters as well as those skilled in every kind of work in gold and silver bronze and iron craftsmen beyond all number now begin the work and the lord be with you so he goes out and he gets all of these materials and just to give you an idea of what the temple is going to look like because again a lot of these terms mean absolutely nothing to us right we don't we don't work on a measurement of talents anymore But 100,000 talents of gold is equal to 3,750 tons of gold. And so if you're trying to figure out what does that equate to, that is $225 billion of gold today. That is what David wanted for God's temple. And so David dies, and Solomon builds the temple for the next seven years. All of the craftsmen work on creating the home for God. And they finish it, and they're now prepared to dedicate the temple. And this is where we come to 2 Chronicles 7, starting in verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all of the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. Then the king and all of the people offered sacrifices before the Lord and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. And the priests took their positions, as did the Levites. And with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever, opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all of the Israelites were standing. And Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord. And there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings because the bronze he had made could not hold the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat portions. So they construct the tabernacle and what happens? The glory of God comes down and it fills the place and they get on their faces and they worship God. The presence of God overshadows all of the luxury and wealth and extravagance of that temple. $225 billion of gold does not equate the presence of God coming down. And so for the next 400 years, they worship God at the temple. And then what happens? The kingdom splits and they become corrupt. And God sends his prophets to warn them, and they don't listen. And God says, You're going to be exiled. And the Babylonians come in, and they take over Jerusalem, and they destroy the city and the tabernacle or the temple. They destroy it, all of that work, all of that material, and it's destroyed. And they're cast into exile. But God made a promise to his people. He made a promise that he would bring them back. He made a promise of their protection. He made a promise that a king would come and sit on the throne one day. And so after 70 years in exile, they serve their punishment and they come back. And they come back to Jerusalem. And they say, it's time to rebuild the temple. It's time to make a home again for God. So in Ezra chapter 3, it said, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levite's son is of Asaph with cymbals, they took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by the King David. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang, he is good, his love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was was made. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. And no one could distinguish the sound or the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. So there's excitement. There's excitement that they've been brought back out of exile and there's excitement to rebuild the temple and they rebuild it. And and some of them just cry and they're like, this isn't the temple that we had before. It's just not the same. And this time we also don't have any text that tells us the presence of God came back down. But they worship. And it becomes becomes again their place to seek God. And so after this, another 400 years, and we conclude the Old Testament. And the people just continue living there in the city of Jerusalem with their smaller version of a temple. And then something happens. Something happens that Christmas night. We have an announcement to the shepherds in the dark. And it says today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And with that, we start to hear the words of John one that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And in verse 14 of first John of John one, it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among this people. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. See, that word dwelling means to set up your tent. It means to set up your camp. That when God came and dwelled with his people, they literally were saying that God came down and tabernacled with his people. God made his home among them. So now we have God's presence. We have God incarnate in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And God is going to live among his people. And he's going to walk with them. And he's going to eat with them. And he's going to teach with them. And he's going to cry with them. And then after his public ministry in John 14, he starts to prepare his people that he's going to leave. And in verses 16 and 17 of John 14, he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and he will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And so Jesus dies. He's there in the grave for three days and he's resurrected and he shows himself to his people for 40 days. And then he says, I need you to stay here. I need you to stay here and wait for my presence to come. The presence of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter two, as all of the believers are gathered, the spirit comes down and rests upon his people. So, when we think about all of the places, all of the places that God interacted with his people, he was there in the garden. He he was there in a a voice, in a vision. He was there in a burning bush. He was there in a pillar of cloud and, and a pillar of fire. He was in a tent. He was in a tabernacle. He was in a temple. God was in all of these places. But you know what? It was never about the place that God was that mattered. What mattered was that God was with his people. That God went from living outside of us to living inside of us. That God went from being among us now being in our hearts and we see that in first corinthians paul is reminding the people he says don't you know that you yourselves are god's temple and the spirit dwells in your midst don't you know that you are a 225 billion dollar vessel that god is living in And that's what we need to understand, that God never cared about the outward spot, but God cared about that he was with us. You know, it's interesting when Solomon goes to build the temple, before he dedicates it, he says this in in 2 Corinthians, or in 2 Chronicles, he says, but will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you how much less this temple I built. And Isaiah says something similar in 66. He says, however, the most high God does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things? Guys, you are so foolish. You think that you can build a box and put me in it? I made this world, I exist all over creation and you're concerned about what this building's going to look like and then you're gonna try to put me in it. Guys, you can't contain me. Earth is my footstool, I put my feet up on this planet. Because what did God wanna do? He said, I wanna dwell in your hearts. See, God called his church, God called his people to go and do something. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the ends of the earth and I want you to preach my message. I want you to preach the message that there is one God that is sovereign over all of creation and this God loves you so much. I want you to go all over this world and I want you to preach that sin sends us to hell. But Christ's blood on the cross will redeem you from that and bring you into my heavenly throne room. And so the reality is that if Christ, if the spirit lives in us, that wherever you and I go, we carry the presence of God. Did you think about that? That wherever you and I go, the presence of God is there. That's a warning for the world that God's coming back one day. (laughs) And praise be to God that we are on the right side of that salvation. This this ranks up the one time that my Grandmom heckled me at church when I was preaching (laughs) So We carry We carry the words of worship and sacrifice Don't we We carry those words that We no longer have to shed the blood Of an animal That reconciliation can be found at the cross We carry the good news of hope And a savior who loves them And that's what God wants. God wants to be their God. He wants, to, he, he wants to rule in our hearts. He wants to dwell. He wants to tabernacle within us. He wants to redeem the brokenness in our lives. He, he, he wants to give us offerings and blessings. He wants to hear our praises. He wants to hear our thanks, that that his love endures forever. He wants us to glorify him as the one true and only God. So what we need to realize is that as God walked in the garden, he set a plan in motion that God will one day do that again. And I'll tell you what, we spend a lot of time, don't we, making sure that this building looks as nice as it does. We spend a lot of time saying to people, if you just came to church and sat in our pew, life was going to go well for you. We spend a lot of time investing how nice and, and 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 how perfect everything could be. And do we have the songs just right? And do, do do we look nice up on stage? And don't get me wrong. Those things, I think, are important because God wants excellence. But the problem is, is when we shift from that thought of excellence to that being everything, we miss the point because God doesn't work because we have four walls. God works because there's a cry of repentance from the heart of a sinner. And so if we are the tabernacle where God dwells. Guys, we have the greatest message to the world. That there is a holiness that needs to be had to a shattered group group of people that are lost. And that everywhere that we go, we are the portable tabernacle of God. And we need to live lives that honor him and show that holiness to the rest of the world so that God can dwell within them. Let's pray. Lord, this is, this is an amazing challenge and amazing beauty that again, Father, the reality is is we are sinners, we are ugly, we are filthy and dirty. And you said, I want to come live within your heart. Why would you do that, God? Because when you come and you convict us and you challenge us, God, you clean the filth out of us and you make our house clean. And so, Lord, let us... Be conscious of that. Let us be conscious of the way that we now walk among the world. Because if we're going to profess you as Lord and Savior, as a way to righteousness, then Lord, you also call us to to live that out, that our actions, our words, would reflect our obedience to you. Lord, I, I don't want to be a filthy temple. So Lord... Continue to refresh my soul. And Lord, I pray that as we go, we proclaim your glories, that there would be those today that don't have you will now be able to say that you have made home within their hearts. Amen.